0: Good morning. Uh, Today we're starting a new kind of a series and even a flow to our service over the summer, the next seven weeks. We're going to be teaching through the Psalms, but we're also going to have somebody from the Genesis community sharing a story of their life. Not of their life, but a shaping moment of their life. Something in their life that shaped who they are, how they see the world, how God has impacted them. And they're going to be sharing it with us The the hope of this is that, one, we just get a chance to sense the—get to learn about each other, get to connect with humanity. We get to see how people have been shaped from their own experiences of life and the unique and diverse community that we have. Um, The scriptures talk about the people of God being known by loving each other, and one of the ways that we actually can show the world we love each other is by knowing each other. And every one of us have stories, lots and lots of stories of how we were shaped through positive and negative things in our lives. And those things have impacted us. And we've seen God's hand in them. So, so excited today to be the, this is the first story. And Rachel Kurian is gonna be sharing this morning uh, one of the shaping, her life shaping stories from her life. So, this is Rachel. Come on up.
1: Thank you so much for that, Bo. Um, I'm so grateful to be here and to see all of you, and it's such a privilege to be able to um, come here and, and just share my story with you all. Um, I. I have been so blessed in my life to know the Lord and to know of who Jesus is, as I come from a country, in India, where a minority of people even know who he is and have the opportunity to worship him and hear about him. But for that, I'm so grateful, and I just want to thank God for that. Um, as I'm here right now, um, I was thinking of my story and um, how it was that God wanted to use me. Um, and I was, re- as I was reflecting, I was thinking about it, and I don't know about how many of how many people in this room can relate, but. Oftentimes, I have uh, a tendency to give up when things get really hard or uncertain or you know, if I get doubtful. Uh, I have a tendency to say, well, what's the point? And, uh, and just give up. And that's happened for me as a student. It's happened for me in relationships when I feel frustrated and when I feel like there's no point. I tend to just say, well, I'm just going to give up. But as I was thinking about it, I thought to myself, I am so grateful that God is actually the opposite. God has the opposite tendency. When he looks at us and when he sees um, who we are in the sight of God, he sees people who are loved, and he says, I'm not going to give up on you. And that's supported with this verse um, that I wanted to share. It's Lamentations 22 to 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And in my life, I have seen the steadfast love of the Lord that has never given up on me, that has never given up on you, and that will never give up on you. And so I wanted to continue, um, continue this story by uh, just mentioning that a lot of times uh, Christianity is portrayed as this religion where um, it, it, it's this concept of a group of people that tries to be more righteous than everybody else and, and tries to be as perfect as possible. But I wanted to share the idea that Christianity is actually the opposite. What it is is all of us recognizing how unrighteous we are and how much we are in need of God's grace and God's um, love in our life when we do give up. Because the truth is, we're humans. You and I, we give up all the time. But at the end of the day, we serve a God who doesn't give up on us. And who also sees us as people who are in dire need of his grace. Um, And so with that, I just wanted to open up to a passage and and read it and just uh, share with you what was on my heart. Um, It comes from Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. And this is the um, story of the woman who was weeping at Jesus' feet when she recognized the amount of sin in her life and had come to Jesus for repentance and for grace, Uh, And so, what she did was, she stood at his feet, this is verse 38, she stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his, wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. And later on in the chapter, it says... Um, Jesus describes to Simon. He says, "'Thou gavest me no kiss, "'but this woman, since the time I came in, "'hath not ceased to kiss my feet. "'My head with oil thou didst not anoint, "'but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. "'Wherefore I say unto thee, "'Her sins which are many are forgiven, "'for she loved much, "'but to whom little is forgiven, "'the same loveth little. "'And he said to her, "'Thy sins are forgiven.'" So I wanted to paint this picture because I wanted to show you um, that us as Christians, no matter how many times we fail, no matter how many times we give up, God's grace is ready and it is able to be extended to us time and time again um, for for each time that we failed. And so my story as I was thinking about it is this woman at Jesus' feet. But it's not me at Jesus' feet once every three months. It's every day. It's every moment that I sin. It's every single time I give up so easily, and I say, what's the point? It's every single time that I feel like I've disappointed God. I come to his feet every day, every second that I, I feel like I've disappointed him, and there God has been in every second, extending his grace, extending his mercy to me. Um, and so with that being said, um, I, I do think it's important to just relay this back to you all that although we feel weak in, in certain times of our lives, um, scripture says that when I am weak, I am strong. God's power is made perfect in our weakness, and we should go on, go on and remember that. And remember that in spite of our sin, in spite of the moments of weakness that we have, we are a new creation. There's a verse that I want to share with you, and it comes from... Um, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. So regardless of what's happened in your life, regardless of your past, just remember that God is willing to make you new. And that is regardless of anything you've ever done, um, anything you've ever been through, his grace is is ready and willing to be extended to you. And I've experienced that grace and love in my life time and time again. Um, and if I were to give you a specific example, I think one way I see a lot of weaknesses in my life is through being a student. So an example of something very recent is me having studied really, really hard for an exam. Because um, I'm in my second year of law school, well, I just finished my second year of law school, and I was studying for an exam all semester, and In our program, we only get one exam at the very end of the semester, Um, and if we don't do well on it, there's there's, there's no hope. And so I remember studying so hard for this one exam all semester, and when the time came for me to actually take the exam, I remember sitting there in front of the multiple choice section, and I went absolutely blank. I just remember... Worrying in my mind so much and thinking oh my goodness. This is the exam. This is the exam that I actually Could not fully read or comprehend one question of all 30 and we had Limited time to do it and I remember in the five minute break in the middle of that exam where you know We could just walk around or you know do whatever we wanted before coming back for the rest of it I went to the bathroom and I just cried and I said God I failed I don't know what happened, but I'm human, and I failed. I tried my best, but I can only do so much. I need your help, and I need your power. And by God's grace, I passed the class. I don't know how, but God helped me pass the class. And all of this to say is that sometimes we fail as students, sometimes we fail in our relationships, but at the end of the day, God can restore us, he can make us new, and his power is made perfect in our weakness. Thank you.
0: Rachel, thank you. She's in her second year. I've got this, and it's muted, that's why. There we go. Second year of law school. I think you're going to be a preacher, right? I mean, goodness, come on. That is awesome. Looking forward to those stories um, over the summer as we get to learn more of each other. And be thinking about what story would you share if you had a story? What are the stories today you could share around a table of your life Ups, downs, lows, and highs. So we're um, we're doing the Psalms, and I and I want to with this Psalms. It's meant to be kind of light for the summer, and and with that, that means it's even light for us. Means we want we want to encourage you. And really, here's what we want to encourage you to do over the summer: the Psalms are this interesting book in, in the Scriptures. Right? Uh, there's 150 of them. They're poetry and they're prayers, but they're meant to be prayed. Uh, they were a book that was organized by the Jewish people as, as prayers, as a template before them. And our encouragement for us over the summer is to use these psalms and to pray them, to use them as templates in prayer, to engage in the psalms. Eugene Peterson wrote a book called Answering God, and he says that God has spoken, and our prayers is always a response to God's speaking. We are never initiating. I might feel like I'm initiating the conversation, but God is always initiated. And it's always initiating. So it, our prayers are our answers to God. And Eugene says, boy, one of the greatest things that can help us, the tools that we have for being formed as people, not so that we get what we want, or so that we can do what we want, but to become, to be who God has created us to be is the tool of prayer with the Psalms. And so the Psalms are poetry and they're prayers and they're kind of hearts. So over the summer, we're going to give little teachings about how to do this, how to see the Psalms, because there's some weird stuff in the Psalms, lots of lots of crying out for God to wipe out the enemies and things like that. And so, what do you do when you get there? How do we pray these? But I want to encourage you to pray them. And here's my encouragement: each day, if you're willing to try, take ten minutes, fifteen minutes. And engage the Psalms. Open up Bible on your phone. Find the Bible. Go to the Psalms. They're numbered 150. Start with number one and read them intentionally and pray them out loud. Do you Have someone do it with you and read them. And after 10 or 15 minutes of reading, maybe you'll make it through three, four Psalms, take five to 10 minutes and write out in a journal, write out what's in your mind and your spirit. Not as a student analyzing the text, but as a human who's alive, as an answer to God as you've prayed. Mark out what comes into your mind, into your soul, into your spirit, and write those things out. Engage in that practice. So um, any, anyone willing, anyone saying, gosh, I... Um, I, I, I want to pray, I want to I do that, I want to I engage God, I want to know God, I'm scared of God, but I want to know God, right? I think majority of this, we want to encourage you to try to practice praying the psalms. Now, as a community, and even as a staff team, we have a running joke that we're like a D minus community, right? When it comes to scoring the grades, Rachel, right, we kind of say, hey, um, C minus D, that's good, like we're, some of us think that, okay, if we're going to pray the psalms in a daily manner, it's like, okay, seven out of seven. We're kind of like, hey, we're kind of D minus. You hit three weeks in a day, in three days in a week. That is awesome. Well done. But we want to encourage this praying mindset. So that's the, the intent. Open the psalms and begin to pray them. Read them out loud for 10 to 15 minutes and then journal what comes into your mind comes to your spirit and your soul as you were praying those. So I want to get us launched off into this today with the introduction and a small bit of encouragement to start. And so the Psalms were that. They were provided not to teach us about God, but to train us in responding to God. And so we learn the Psalms by praying them. And so that's what I want to encourage us to do. And so this text teaches us to pray, um, but the text of the Psalms is really interesting um, in the Psalms, it actually doesn't start with prayer. So even though it's a text to pray, so I actually got a, you know, we got our, my Bible here. Psalms 1 and 2 are actually not prayers. They're the beginning. And, th- and this book was pulled together by the, the people of God when they were in Babylonian exile. They numbered them. They ordered them these prayers of worship and stuff. So the first two Psalms, even though this is the book of poetry and prayer, are not Prayers their preparation. You ever found it difficult to kind of sit and engage in prayer? To be like, oh, and it's never the right time, the right space, feeling it, you don't really want to. Well, yeah, we're being shaped by everything around us. We can find it so difficult to pray. And Psalms 1 and 2 are actually a text that helped to prepare us to pray. They get us ready to pray. They're working together to put our feet on this path that goes from this non-praying world that's distracted, which is habitually distracted and intimidated, even as Rachel was saying, there's sort of this ongoing thing that says, just give up. Just quit. Ah, it's not worth it. Distracted and intimidated. And in Psalm 1 and 2, kind of go after that. So are you distracted and are you intimidated by the world around you? Psalms 1 and 2, step into the praying world, will become to attention and adoration. So that's what I want to look at. I want to look at Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. So let's read Psalm 1 together. So would you stand? This is the first one. We're going to have the text up here. And so if you can see it, uh, read it. If you can't, you are like me, you have trouble seeing. get out your phone. This is in the NIV. Um, but this is Psalm 1. Let's read it aloud together, this, this psalm of preparation. Ready? Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so with the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. You can be seated. So this psalm is one that prepares us. There is in this psalm there is an action and there's an image but the first word of the psalm right is blessed that's the first word. It's really interesting when you study ancient, uh, the, the Hebrew text. The last word of Deuteronomy, which was all of the written Torah, was blessed, right? The first word of the first psalm is blessed. Jesus and his big sermon on, on, when, he, when he spoke to the people on the mountain, right, when he was speaking before them in the Beatitudes was what? Blessed. When he opened his mouth to teach the people. The first word is blessed. It's to get our attention, Everything in the world screams otherwise. It's to get our attention to say, hey, here's life. Here's the way to life, blessed. It's an invitation to pause and to engage into something different, a different way of thinking. Blessed. It raises our expectation, a readiness for more of what is also really good, something good that God has for us to prepare us Blessed. And then Paul says, but in this text of Psalm 1, I just want to look real quickly at an action and an image. And the first action of this psalm that prepares us is this. It says this uh, meditate day and night on God's law. The the word there is Torah, right? That's the word for law in Hebrew. Meditate day and night on God's uh, revelation, on His word that He gives you. This is the action. That in order to prepare us, that is given in this text, meditate. Now, that word meditate is really interesting because in Isaiah, Isaiah taught, uses the same word for meditate, and it's about a lion eating over its prey. When a lion is devouring its prey, growling and purring over its food, and, and I, I went on Google and I found all sorts of gruesome images. And I just couldn't do it, right? I, I already have it. I, I On Easter, I showed you a video of a little duck wandering alone. You know, and I couldn't do, you, do it to you again of a lion devouring an animal, even though that's just the way it is, right, folks? Um, but, so I had to show the one where they're just smiling, right? <laughs> but to meditate is this idea to devour on your prey. It's not, a, it's not an exam, you know, right? This isn't an academic mental performance, it is something that you eat and it's, it's getting infused in you, as this nourishment, that's what meditating is. It's almost like the words are ruminating again over your spirit and your soul, and you're saying them again and again and again. as you chew on them, you devour them. You're being asked to, "Here's the action. Oh, oh, blessed is the one who's, who's meditating who's meditating, who's jawing, who's purring, who's gnawing on this, who's receiving the word that God has when he speaks, his Torah, his revelation. That's a better word. Now, when when you think Torah in, in Hebrew, that specifically is the first five books of our Bible. Right, that's Torah. Now, that's not what this writer is saying. He's saying, God's revelation God's revelation was he spoke at the beginning and created all things. That was his revelation that he spoke, right? That is in Torah, it's the first words in Genesis chapter 1, right? But God is speaking and revealing, and if we look outside, we see his revelation in everything. Everything is held together by the command of Jesus, right? That's what the New Testament says. Everything is there. Nothing of this created world does not have the imprint and the fingerprint, everywhere, so we meditate on God's Torah. Now, Torah comes from this Hebrew word called yara, which means like um, if you were gonna throw something to hit the mark, like uh, today, there's a lot of ax-throwing places. Anybody been to the, in the ax-throwing world yet? Yeah, a few of you, well done. Did you hit the mark or hit anyone else? <laughs> Good, right, you're gonna, you're gonna hit the mark you're going to throw it to hit that mark. That's what that Torah is meant to do. So Torah is like the javelin, right? It's the thing that's meant to hit the mark. And, and you are the target. You're God's target. For his, his words to hit you. And to hit you deeply and profoundly that they would begin to rework their way in you, right? They would shape you. They would mold you. This is not the normal, these are the words that spoke creation into the being. These are the words that remake you. These are not just minimal words. These are words of life, words of instruction, words of correction. But they're meant to to pierce, to go deep into us, to form us in that way. This is how we, that God has this. And the word that hits this mark is God's word. See, God's word is aimed, it's intentional, and instead of personal nature, it's for you specifically, which way you need it. And when we're spoken to in this way, piercingly and deeply, we're not the same. There's a God who's wanting to speak. He's wanting to speak deeply and profoundly. One of our values out in the lobby is hearing and doing. And so it begins with hearing, we're saying, God is speaking. And He wants to speak specifically, at direct aim. At you, because he loves you, created you, he's forming you, and he's a God who speaks and speaks out loud and invites us to answer God. Amen. So we're spoken to this in a way, we're not the same. These words inhabit us and they work their meaning in us. God's words are Torah and we are target. And so we don't labor over these words, so we don't study them, right? These are words that are meant to create delight. And this develops into meditation. This is not an intellectual process. I love that Eugene Peterson says this about to meditate. And this is a physical process. As we would meditate on God's words to us. It's hearing and rehearsing these words as we sound them again, letting the sound sink into our muscles and bones like the lion growling over its prey it's physical have you ever sat there with a word and said it so many times that it just were like oh my gosh i don't even know what this word means now bubble bubble but right and you're just like oh oh." we're rehearsing this word again and again letting it sink deeply 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 into our into our bones into our muscle Have you meditated in that way before See, God wants to speak words to you about who you are, about your identity, about his delight in you, about his attention to you, his call to you, and it begins, blessed are the ones who meditate on God's revelation. That's the action of Psalm 1, but the image of Psalm 1 is this. They're like trees plant, transplanted by water. That's the image. Yeah, again, when this was collected, when these were collected together, the Psalms were organized as a prayer book for the nation of Israel. They were in Babylonian exile. This is after they had disobeyed God, and the Babylonians came in and wiped out, destroyed the temple which Solomon had built, and they're away. And Babylon was uh, flat, featureless and it had one central river that flowed through the country. And in order to create a fertile land where you could have more and more crops growing, they would create these irrigation canals off of that one river that would flow through there to extend the fertility of the land. And so when it said, oh, your your trees transplanted by water, this brings up for them this reality of the nation of Israel being transplanted in Babylon next to these irrigation canals this is who you are. Have you ever thought that praying, that all the conditions just have to be perfect? You have have to be either in the mountains of Colorado or you got to be on the beaches of California or Florida or on the west side of the state. You got to be in the right place, the right circumstances, the right mindset, all the conditions. And when the conditions are bad or not so ideal, now this isn't the place actually to answer God. And the people of Israel were saying the same things. We're in exile. We're in captivity. We don't even have our temple, which the smoke and the cloud of God showed up when they opened up the doors to the place, right? That smelled of the offerings. This is not the place for God to be speaking and to be found. And yet in this text it's saying, oh, you are a transplanted tree and you'll bear fruit in every season, wherever you are. This is the image that Psalm 1 is to prepare us. Regardless of where you're finding yourself now, in a a terrible land, in captivity, in exile, the place you don't want to be, in this spot you wish you weren't, in the context that you think are totally negative and not the right setting to actually pray or answer God, is actually the setting where God is saying, oh, you're a transplanted tree, seep your roots down deep. Here's the place to actually to pray. This is the place that I will speak to you and you can answer me. This is the spot. You are a transplanted tree and you will bear fruit here. Settle in, dig in your roots. I'm here. You are not, uh, you're not abandoned here. What a word for people who are struggling to pray, struggling to find the conditions, who finding in the worst possible place for Prayer. But yet God is saying, dig your deeps down. We all suppose we could pray better if we were in better places. And I find myself putting off prayer until um, I think where I should be or I wanna be. And we let our distractions, we let our circumstances distract us from attending to this, to attending to the word of God that is aimed right where we are and invites our answer from that spot. We're a transplanted tree we prepare ourselves to pray by looking at the transplanted tree and seeing ourselves in it. So here's my encouragement. Wherever you are in your home, if you have a window, and outside of it, you can look out and see a tree. And I think the majority of us could. We can step outside, look at a tree, find a tree. Now you're going to say, oh, man, this sounds really hippie. <laughs> eh. It's earthy. It sure is, right? It is earthy. It is natural. It is natural. Look to the tree. Place yourself there. Stare and see its growth. See its leaves. Don't look at the dead tree. Find the tree that's got some leaves on it. Maybe the dead one too is you. I don't know, right? Let God speak to it. But open the Psalms and pray. Feel connected in that way of realizing, ah, you are a transplanted tree as well. Dig your roots down deep where you are. Sink in. Love God to nourish you and find your prayer there and open the Psalms and pray. That's Psalm 1 to prepare us. Psalm 2, and I'm going to take five minutes. Because I want to read it to us again. So here, here's Psalm 2 because it also prepares us. So would you stand again? Let's read Psalm 2. Again, this is not a prayer. This is in preparation for prayer. It's really interesting. Here's Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire in the king's plot in vain? You are my son. Today I've become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction, for his wrath can flare up in a moment, but blessed are all who take refuge in him. You can be seated. So Psalm 2 begins with this whole people meditating too. It's the same word, but in here in the translation it says plotting. What were they meditating on? They were meditating and saying, how can we get God's word as far away from us as possible? How can we get God's revelation as far away from us as possible so that we can be unchained from God's revelations? So then we can rule over ourselves. They're plotting and playing. They're meditating against it, devising schemes to get rid of it so they can be free of, God, of all the God interference of their lives. They don't see God's words as... It's javelins to hit the target of themselves for life. They see them as chains. And the javelin, or the the ax throwing, it's a good thing. It's a life-giving word. It it shapes us. But you can see it as a chain, as a a shackle. It's meant to hold us down and repress us into small thinking. And so the mind is... so they put their minds together to rid themselves of this word so that their words can rule. And in this psalm, these people are impressive. They're numerous and they're prominent and they command armies and they run schools and school systems and they rule over governments and they rule in the marketplace. And if these people, all the powerful of the world, as this psalm goes into, if these people are an active conspiracy against God's rule, what good is it to even to pray? What good can prayer have it? When the world seems that those in power and rule over thing else really kind of can just do whatever they want, intimidation is as fatal to prayer as distraction. We're intimidated, intimidated by the way the world seems to work. It seems to function. I mean, just look at even our political system, the way it functions, and look at their race, um, look at their age, look at their gender and look at their socioeconomic places of how much net income they came into at birth to see those who are in the echelons of ruling in our government and stuff, right? It's, it's alarming. The way that sort of power and intimidation and those things kind of do that. And, and then just expand that over everything in the world. Systemic issues and things like that. And so what, what, what does prayer do? It's intimidation. Even as Rachel was saying, Is that just, no, let's just give up, Yet the psalm has another word to say. It has this reality of size. Um, There was a teacher of mine, his father was a scientist, and he said, son, don't ever become a Christian. They make everything small. And and there is some reality to that. Christians, they they suck the mystery out of things. At least they try to, right? They um, don't allow... The hard things to be hard, right? There's always an answer at some level. They overly try to explain things, make things small. But but in essence, the reality of Jesus and life and of God and creation makes everything bigger. It's so much bigger. There's always a temptation to shrink in everything and make it small. Small thinking and small minded. So the attempt of, of true, I think the biblical text and the understanding is not to size everything down but to expand everything. And so this text is talking about size. And in this one, do we have the ability to see the world of God as large? Far larger than the world powers. And so we almost need a tool to see um, the largeness of God and his power and his ruling and his goodness, his intervention, his invading into the world. And if so, our prayers will be stunted. So what is this tool that helps us to see God as large? And I tell you what, um, it's one where the imagination has to be expanded because in the same one, it's... uh, the answer is interesting. The tool that God has to help us to enlarge our imaginations is the tool of Messiah. That means anointed one. This is the tool of Psalm 2. It helps to expand our imaginations. What is God's answer to all the powers of the world that seem to rule is Messiah. Uh, In Greek, that meant Christ, and Messiah just meant anointed one. And so there was these figures within the nation of history who would be anointed. They were kings, right? They were anointed as God's representatives in the world. And as as God's representatives aligned themselves to God's purposes, God began to show his power through the small and the weak, but God's vastness in response to the world powers I wanted to show them how his rule was greater than anything they saw around them. And centuries of training and observing God's invasion of the world by Messiah reached a conclusion in Jesus, who was declared Messiah. That's when we say Jesus Christ, that's what we're saying. We're saying Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that has come into the world in response to all the world who was mocking and laughing. It's God's invading. Stepping in, entering into history as a human person, and exercising his rule from an unassuming position in an unadorned person. Uh, Richard Ruhr says that Messiah is God becoming what he loves a person. God becomes what he loves. And he steps in, he becomes a person. And this person doesn't that seem like a small answer, a small response. To this world. But there's two details of this text that show us this is not small. This is not small when Jesus comes into flesh and steps in and invades. And he does so from the inside as the anointed one to come in and to bring life everywhere in order to rule over everything. To show that his rule extends to every people, to every group, to every nation, to every country, to rule over all with the intended love and goodness of God that is overcoming the injustice and the sin and the brokenness of the world. And so this psalm calls for this sense of here is a God who's, who's responding. Here's a detail of Psalm 2 when the Messiah comes. Here's what God does to those leaders is he laughs at them. A God who laughs at the rulers of this world. God is laughing at the world rulers. Laughter restores Perspective. Taking the world's arrogance too seriously. And God laughs. And next in this text, after it laughs, this text calls for adoration. It says we see the rulers needing a ruler. The kings needing a king. Their world is too small. This is the response to the arrogance of the world. They need a larger world. I want what there is the ruler of the universe, the Messiah of all who is over all. Uh, a few weeks ago, I mean, even in our own context, in our own country, um, when the school shootings were happening, or the, the shooting happened in Virginia, and um, the president went to a church in Virginia, right, just stepped in to be prayed for, and the pastor's name is David Platt, and he took some heat for praying in their own community, their own, their own uh, political uh, ideas are divided in their community as, as we are, right? We have these ideas, and, and everybody has different thoughts on that, and his community is divided, but, but he prayed for them. And here's the first two, this is the first paragraph of his prayer, because his prayer is this idea of kings needing a king, and rulers needing a ruler, your world's too small, right? And, and all of us are in that spot. here's just prayer oh god we praise you that you are the one universal king over all you are our leader you are our lord and we worship you there is one god and one savior and it's you your name is jesus we exalt you jesus we know we need your mercy we need your grace we need your help we need your wisdom in our country right so this is those who have power needing a better power than them And so we stand right now on behalf of our president and we pray for your grace and your mercy and your wisdom upon him. God, we pray that he would know how much you love him, so much that you sent Jesus to die for his sins, our sins. So we pray that he would look to you, that he would trust in you, that he would lean on you, and that he would govern and make decisions in ways that are good for justice, that are good for righteousness, that are good for equity, every good path. And that's what prayer is about. It's saying, oh, kings and rulers, you need, you need, your world's too small. You need something bigger and greater than you. And we're all on that place. Psalm 2 reminds us of the Messiah and says, God laughs at those who believe that they're in power and scoffs. And brings us to adoration, adoration and it says, oh, there is one greater and his it Messiah, it's Jesus. And his words are this, kiss his feet. Kiss him. Embrace him. Welcome him. He is the one that gives you the water of life that your tree continues to flourish. Revere him. This is not um, a sovereign, this is not a Messiah that's imposing his his rule. He's invading. He's starting from the inside and wanting his rule to expand in his goodness that we would see it and welcome it, say yes to it. Psalms 1 and 2 are these funnels directing us into the way of prayer. Into the Psalms, we take our place and we find our lives trained by prayer and answering God. Psalm 1 calls us to attention and Psalm 2 invites us to adoration of the Messiah. They prepare us to pray. So my encouragement over the course of this is that we would pause and we'd be people who would enter into prayer and we'd be prepared to do so. So I've got, um, so my encouragement was to pray the Psalms. I've got four journals here, and I'll, I'll pick up a lot more next week. But is anybody like, hey, I would do this if I had a journal. I'll take out my glasses so that I can see. I got four, I'm gonna put them up here. Um, so if you're willing to say, yeah, I I, I need to pause for a second and and answer God, and believe that he's speaking, and he wants me to answer him. He wants me to cry out and answer him, to respond to his action, to begin engaging in the text of the Psalms, to stop being scared away and thinking, now's not the right time, now's not the right place, let me get myself cleaned up, let me get the things solved, let me find a better language, let me learn how to pray some more, make sure I'm doing it right, it's like, hey, pray the Psalms, that's a good way to start. You can start. And know that there is one greater than you, Jesus, who's inviting you to come and saying, hey, come come to me. I'm the way into prayer. Come. So I got four journals for anyone who is, who is wanting to start. I, I hope these, I put them right here. Anybody want one? Anybody willing to show themselves right now? Andrew, I love your boldness. Right? right? I mean, his heart and soul of boldness to say, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to dig in. I'm ready to hear from God. I'm ready to respond. We see it with the way you worship. We see it right now when you're like, hey, who wants this? And you're like, I'm here. Let's do this. That is awesome. Thanks, Bob. Anybody else? We got two more. Willing to say yes to a distraction and obstacle. Thank you. So let me pray. Oh, God of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have so many excuses and distractions for not answering you in your call, in your love, in your invitation, in your pursuit, in your revelation, maybe today take a deep breath. And with the oxygen that you've given, open our mouths in prayer as an answer to you, as a response to you and your goodness. help us to see help us to see that where we are that you've transplanted us you are there with us regardless of the circumstances help us to see that we can put roots down and engage you give us the courage to be able to do so as we engage in these psalms and prayer god help us to attend what's going on in our souls in our spirit and our bodies To teach us how to respond to you. Thank you for the Messiah, Jesus. Who has come to, to show us the greatness of your love. And the bigness of your world. Beyond what we see in the surrounding circumstances of our world. Expand that for us, God. That we could come and kiss the feet of the Messiah. Who says that he is Lord over the universe right now. Resurrected until everything submits to his feet. you laugh at everything around. May we find the blessing in our refuge at the end of that psalm of finding our refuge in you, our Messiah. Thank you, God, for welcoming us and receiving us as we come. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So next week, we'll hit the Psalms again to encourage you if, you. if you have so, hey, look at a tree, open the Psalms, begin to pray, and allow God to teach you what that is to engage him in prayer. May you go, may you go in the favor of God, who is the ruler of this universe today. Have a great, great Sunday. There's more apple fritters in the lobby and donuts. Be, dads, if you didn't get them, or allow your kids and anyone else here to eat as many donuts until they are gone.